Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the four angels as we pick up in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn now in our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 7, as we continue our Through the Bible series. In chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, we were taken into the heavenly scene where John beholds the throne of God, the cherubim about the throne, as they worship God, the 24 elders, as they respond to that worship. In chapter 5, we see the scroll with seven seals in the right hand of him who sits upon the throne, the scroll being the title deed to the earth. An angel proclaiming who is worthy to take the scroll and loose the seals. And we recognize that no man is worthy, no man can redeem the earth. John, in the prospect of the earth going unredeemed, begins to sob until the elder said, Don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to take the scroll and to loose the seals. So we see Jesus as he steps forth and takes the scroll, and we hear the reaction, first of all, of the redeemed, the church, who sing of their redemption through his blood and his worthiness to take the book and to loose the seals. And then we hear the angels, a hundred million strong plus millions of millions as they join in the chorus of worthiness to the Lamb and to him who sits upon the throne. Then in chapter 6, we see as he begins to loose the seals of this scroll. And as he looses the seals of the scroll, we see the corresponding judgments that take place upon the earth. The first seal bringing forth the Antichrist, the white horse and his rider. The second seal bringing forth wars, desolations. The third bringing famine and the fourth bringing death. And we see that in the first four seals, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they are often called, one quarter of the earth's population being destroyed. The fifth seal introduces us to a multitude of people under the altar of God who are saved out of the great tribulation. They are asking God how long before God avenges upon those of the earth who had slain them, brings his vengeance upon them, And they are told that they are to wait a short season until their number be complete, and they are given white robes and thus comforted. In the sixth seal, we find a cataclysmic, catastrophic kind of judgment upon the earth described in the book of Joel, described in Isaiah, described by Jesus, as they talk about the stars falling from heaven, the islands being moved, uh, the surface of the earth being changed in a geographical sense as this great cataclysm takes place. Now we come to chapter 7. And before the seventh seal is open, we have now here a little parenthetical kind of a 
side exposition, as John sees these four angels holding back the winds of the earth, that they should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now we know that during the great tribulation or during the seven-year period, of which three and a half years would be designated great tribulation, that during the first three and a half years of this period, when the Antichrist is setting up his power, his kingdom, that God has two witnesses, which we will be introduced to in the 11th chapter, who bear witness for 42 months or three and a half years, and during the time of their witness, they shut up the heavens that it rain not during the time that they are witnessing. This lack of rain, of course, will probably be one of the instruments that will perpetrate the great famine that we have in the third seal. It could be that the holding back of the winds by these four angels is that which causes the rain to cease. You see, we have our hydraulic cycle where the ocean waters are evaporated into the atmosphere and then carried by the winds over the land where as the clouds begin to cool, the gases condense and form into rain and fall to the earth and thus the earth is watered in this hydraulic cycle and it's a beautiful engineering plan of God uh, to water the earth. But if the winds were held back, then the water that would evaporate into the atmosphere would not be carried over the earth and would probably start being sustained within the atmosphere itself, again uh, causing uh, some very interesting atmospheric kind of phenomena as the water would again be suspended in a greater concentration in the atmosphere. So here are four angels standing in the four corners of the earth. And the word corners is probably a poor translation. Uh, the Greek word is translated in the present time into quadrants. And we talk about the four quadrants of the earth, which is the north, east, south, and west. And so you have your north wind, east wind, south wind, and west winds, the four quadrants of the earth. There are people who have, you know, always looking for something to find fault within the Bible. And they say, well, the Bible, you see, uh, was reflecting the superstition or the intelligence of the day because they say the four corners of the earth. And so, you know, evidently John believed the earth was flat and had the four corners. And so... He was guilty of the flat earth theory. And thus you can't really rely upon the Bible because it, it does have fallacies such as the four corners of the earth. Well, I saw a sign that said the Marines were in the four corners of the earth. And so you can't trust the Defense Department because 
they don't realize that the earth is round. They think that it has corners. No, the idea is the quadrants, north, east, south, and west. But interestingly enough, the physicists and all now declare that there really are four corners on the earth. The earth isn't an actually round, that the poles are flattened somewhat to make the bulge at the equator. And so the earth is more of an elliptical shape, but the bulge actually creates about four corners of the earth. And that's one of the latest uh, declarations of those men who study such things. But it's talking about the four quadrants, the four winds, the northeast, south, and west wind. And it is interesting to me that these angels, and they must be very fascinating creatures, have the power to hold back the winds that they blow not. Here they're holding back the winds. But they are told by this other angel who ascends from the east, having the seal of the living God, crying with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, don't hurt them until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of those that were sealed, and there were 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now that's very plain, isn't it? How many are sealed? 144,000. Who are they? of all of the tribes of the children. What can be plainer than that? Now, a lot of people have trouble with the book of Revelation because they say, well, you just can't understand it. You see, the 144,000 doesn't really mean 144,000. It's a symbolic number. It's 12 times 12,000. And 12 being the number of human government. And, and they, you know, start... Uh, getting into it further and further and further. And so it means that one man is going to rule one month during the thousand years of the kingdom age, you know, and get all kinds of weird speculation out of this. And, of course, the Jehovah Witnesses say, hey, we are the 144,000, you know. And Herbert W. Armstrong, in his plain truth of the world tomorrow, says, no, we are the 144,000. And uh, if you will double and triple tithe to the church of God, you can become one of the 144,000, the inner circle, and when the time, precise time comes, we will send you a telegram that you can flee to this wilderness where we have prepared uh, survival for the 144,000. And uh, so they're trying to be the 144,000 as the Jehovah Witnesses are trying to be the 144,000. And many other groups have tried to take this identity upon themselves. But obviously in doing so, you have to disregard the text itself and you have to start reading into the text and say, well, no, God didn't mean what he said. That's all symbolic language. It's all in a spiritual sense, and we are spiritual Israel, you see, and I'm of the spiritual tribe of Asher and uh, Benjamin or whatever. But it, just to keep this kind of speculation from taking place, the Lord then lists the 12 tribes. Now, 
You are familiar with the fact that there are actually 13 tribes, are you not? You remember when Joseph came to Jacob, or vice versa, Jacob came down to Joseph in Egypt, having thought he was dead for many years. Now discovering him to be alive and one of the leaders of Egypt, Jacob, this elderly man, came down to Joseph. And when Joseph came to his father Jacob, he brought his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Jacob said unto Joseph, These two sons are mine. Whatever sons you have born after these can, you know, be yours, but these two sons are mine. And he claimed the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so Ephraim and Manasseh both became tribes in Israel. And so the tribe of Joseph is divided into two, into the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So the Levitical tribe became the 13th tribe, but was usually not numbered among the tribes. For instance, in the division of the land, there was no portion for Levi because the Lord was their portion. So the land was apportioned into 12 sections, one for each of the tribes, and Ephraim and Manasseh both received their allotments. Now, as a rule, you don't read of the tribe of Joseph because it was into two tribes. Here we find the tribe of Joseph and the tribe of Manasseh, so when it refers to the tribe of Joseph, no doubt it is the tribe of Ephraim because Manasseh is also listed as being sealed, the 12,000 here in uh, the uh, seventh chapter. And so the interesting thing is that the tribe of Levi is also listed here, but the tribe of Dan is thus omitted. Dan was the first of the tribes to go into idolatry. If you go to the tell of Dan in northern Israel today, they have excavated quite a large area of pagan worship as the tribe of Dan was the leader in idolatry, the first tribe to go into idolatry. And it could be that is the reason why God has not sealed them from some of the things that are going to transpire during the Great Tribulation period. You find as we move along in the book that the 144,000 who are sealed are protected divinely by God from many of the judgments which are going to come upon the earth. So 12,000 of each tribe, the tribe of Judah being listed first because Reuben lost his birthright uh, because of his going into his father's concubine. Uh, he lost his birthright. And it was given over to Judah, and to Judah was given the scepter that Judah should be the reigning tribe. And of course, we know that David came from the tribe of Judah, and then 
Jesus later, who was that branch out of Judah, the stem of Jesse, that would arise, or the branch of Jesse, that should come out of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So the tribe of Judah listed first, and then Reuben, who was the oldest son but lost his ranking, and of Gad, and of each of these sons, uh, the 12,000. And after this, verse 9, uh, so that's your 144,000. They're sealed now. Later on, we'll come across them again as uh, we see them protected from various judgments that are coming. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all of the nations and kindreds and people and tongues. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed with white robes, and they had palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Now, interesting, they're clothed with white robes, palms in their hands, and what is their cry? Salvation. Now, we remember another crowd with palms in their hands, and the cry was the same. Hosanna means salvation, or save now, literally, crying salvation unto the Lord. So there's a lot of similarity between this crowd and that crowd on the road from Bethany to Jerusalem on the day that Jesus made his descent from the Mount of Olives on a donkey and the disciples were waving palm branches and the multitudes there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save or salvation, salvation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here is the crowd now in heaven, a great number of them. However, these are from all over the world, from all of the various races, ethnic groups. Their cry is the same, salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all of the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four living creatures of the cherubim, and they fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, So be it, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, when the church sings its song of redemption, verse 9 of chapter 5, they sang the new song saying, Thou art worthy. The angels respond to that song in worship, saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive the power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Here the same things with a couple of differences. To the church's song, they refer to riches for, interestingly enough, the Lord considers us as his treasure. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they might receive a spirit of wisdom and understanding that they might know what is his riches in the saints? Or you might know how much God values you. You remember the parable of Jesus 
concerning the kingdom of heaven was likened to a man going through the field and discovering a treasure and who for the joy thereof went out and sold everything so he could buy the field and have the treasure. Now the field, Jesus said, is the world. And he was the one that gave everything. He gave his life to purchase the world in order that he might obtain the treasure. So if you only knew, Paul said, how highly the Lord treasures or values you. And Peter writing says, we are his peculiar treasure. Well, it's peculiar to me that God would, you know, take such value in me, that God would treasure me. But we are his inheritance. So riches when the church declares its song, for we are his inheritance, his riches. When this group sings, thanksgiving is substituted for riches, and so that's the difference in the response to the two groups. As the angels respond to this second group, the response is not of riches, but of thanksgiving. return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Revelation on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Revelation 7 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord bless you and be with you and keep you in His love through the grace of Jesus Christ as we look forward to that glorious day of the Lord, that we might be with Him in His eternal kingdom, world without end. God bless you, and may the strength of the Lord be your portion this week. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.